You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Hargens. Hello, team. Welcome to another beautiful day on this podcast discussing independent music. Obviously, that's what we're doing here. If you have not checked out the show before, welcome to the party. Go sit over there. You'll be handed out some uh, you know, instruction booklets on how to proceed. But mostly, you just sit there and enjoy it, okay? Hopefully, that's cool. I have a rad guest on this week. His name is Dylan Walker. He's the lead vocalist uh, from a band called Full of Hell. I love Full of Hell. They're such a good band. Release stuff on Relapse, A389 Records, and just a, um, I, I mean, not an easy listening experience. So for any of you that are looking for some, uh, you know, mellow, soothing tones, don't come here. But uh, Full of Hell is a very challenging band, and Dylan has fascinated me for quite some time just from afar and observing his art. So I had to have him on the show. And uh, my now good friend, <laughs> Chase Mason from Gate Creeper, who appeared in the show a couple weeks ago, was like, oh yeah, Dylan would love to do that. And so hooked us up over text, and then boom, here we go. Here's the episode. What you can do, you first of all, email the show. I love to hear from you. 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. It's always fun to correspond with people who have ideas, who are, you know, trying to like figure out some things with their life in regards to like, hey, do you like seven inches? You know, the really important questions, the stuff that I can answer, uh, you know, do that. I love to hear that or get that feedback from you. Also, please leave a review wherever you can, preferably on the Apple podcast charts or not the charts. You don't leave it on the charts. How about the podcast page? Toss some stars on it. Leave a review. Um, because frankly, it bums me out when I read certain reviews that uh, I deem is inaccurate. Someone compared me to Ben Shapiro, and I was like, yo, I do not sound like that guy. I, I am an impart. well, actually, I'm a partial, uh, you know, observer on my own voice, but I can tell you for a fact, I do not sound like Ben Shapiro. So let's leave some reviews, and then, uh, you know, maybe that one gets buried uh, down there a little bit. But I am reflecting on one other thing, the fact that we are almost sitting at one year in no live music in this pandemic world, and it's just a... Uh, it's wild because I think uh, March 11th was the last show that I personally went to before the world changed as we knew it. And uh, yeah, it's just weird to think about that. So I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully getting this uh, this world back because I know it's like my, my parents have been vaccinated. My wife is uh, one half vaccinated and uh, it's happening. Obviously not as quickly as we'd like, but you know, it will hopefully come the fall. We'll be able to see each other again watch some bands again, and uh, the world will be a little bit more normal than what it was. But just feeling a little uh, reflective, because here we are. It's almost a year. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anyways, let's talk to Dylan, okay? Full Hell is interesting in regards to the fact that like, I uh, was privy to you guys releasing music on, you know, like 20 bucks spin and like your earlier stuff, but you never really, I guess, latched on to me. Um, you know, that's not your fault. That's mine. But <laughs> until <laughs> the, uh, the last, the last record on relapse is what really, really captured me where I felt like it was all the different versions of what you guys were doing previously, but all kind of like, it, it kind of congealed where it was like, Oh, this is what we were trying to accomplish. And maybe that's me just like, you know, trying to articulate it too cleanly, <laughs> but do do you feel that that kind of tracks in a way where you know the the last LP is where you kind of felt like you you blossomed into this is the sort of actualized version of Full of Hell, or this is this just kind of a a, a stopping point along the uh, overall journey of Full of Hell? I mean, I'm sure in the long scheme it's a stopping point, but that's absolutely how it felt to us too. I mean. Every time, I mean, making a record's like such a, I feel like it's such a difficult process. Like it's one thing to play a show live and, and have a good show, but it's another thing to eat, capture it accurately or, or articulate what you're, what you're even trying to sound like. So yeah, I felt like Weeping Choir was the first record where I was like, okay, I can, I can like accept this. If I was to like stop playing music tomorrow, I feel like this is, you know, a nice accurate representation of kind of where I was at, you know? Cause it hasn't always been like that. And it's, and it sometimes I feel like with, with anybody, it's like hard to look back on stuff you made years ago sometimes. And and it's important to accept it. But uh, I think most people are pretty critical of their, of their old work, especially um, with us, you know, it's, it's always been like a learning process for us. Full of hell was like our first serious band. 
first band for all of us that actually released like pressed music. So I think in a lot of ways, like the, the learning process and like the, the embryonic stages were all public, you know? So that's a, that's a cool thing. And, and, you know, in certain lights, it's an annoying thing, but I I choose to just look at it positively. You know, people just were along the journey with us as we kind of sucked and we got a little better and, and we're still just trying to suck less, you know, just takes time, I guess. (laughs) No, I, I, I really like that notion, especially when you're talking about like your first real band that, you know, actually like has records and, you know, has the ability to get out there and play shows outside of your, you know, hundred mile area. It is that, growth in public where it's like, Hey, you know, this thing that we put out last year is not representative of where we are now versus two years from now. But then because either you're not that good at playing your instrument or now you just know how to communicate with each other better. Like it just happens over time. You're right. Yeah. And it's, it gets really stark when you're a band for 11 years, 10 years. And you're like looking back on a seven inch you made when you were 19 and you're just like, shit, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to track vocals. You know, I didn't know I just didn't know who, what, like, I don't know. I just didn't know shit. I literally didn't know fucking anything. So, (laughs) but it's cool. You know, that's, it's a nice process. And I think like we put ourselves in a pretty nice position just because I think people, they don't look at the band, like some anonymous, like powerhouse thing or anything like that. They just, I think the people that are into our band just are into the band and understand that we're just normal ass people and normal people suck, you know? and and they strive for better yep. things and, and like yeah i don't know making it more out front like that ha- is is a better thing because it's really easy to be honest in that way you know mm-hmm. yeah well and i think it in turn it also makes your band and the art that you put out there more approachable even though there's a lot of things you know from the harshness of your music and the name of your band as being like you know you say that to a, a, a normal citizen and they'll be like there's no way i could listen to a band like full of hell <laughs> like that's, a, that's terrifying but then your presentation beyond just the you know the, the simple trappings of what it is you guys do as a band it, it does make that approach honest where you're like yeah come along like we play really aggressive music but like you know we're, we're approachable we're cool yeah and i feel like that's that's what i would want a band to be like most of the time you know at least one that tours a lot and that's you know kind of like playing a lot of kind of all ages shows and just you know i I would want them to be kind of like bastions for for diy and and like extreme music culture you know i want i I would want a band that i like to be like yeah kid you go start a band now and you know we can play shows together and you can just you know, you can do greater things than we ever could have dreamed of. Like that's, that's what I would hope, you know, a band that I was a fan of would act like. And and a lot of people that are older than us that we look up to are, have been like that to us. So it's just, it, it'd be nice if that was like kind of the going, going way to, to be as a band, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that whole, you know, paying it forward idea where it's like, you would like <laughs> the people who were, you know, it's a couple of years older than you that inspired you to, you know, play in a loud band to do the same for, you know, kids that are whatever, two to four years younger than you. You want to keep that cycle going. Yeah, man. And don't have a chip on your shoulder and think like you're better than anybody else. Like none of the guys in the bands that, you know, you interview or that I'm into or that any of us interact with, they're not fucking anything. Like they're just normal ass people and their bands are going to break up someday and they're going to fucking go back to their lives and and you know what I mean? It, I just think the ego is pretty, can be pretty embarrassing. Like when in reality, it's, it's really just supposed to be a, a way to share ideas, you know, as equals, not like some, like there's a stage, but I don't think like there should be any like pretense that you're above, you know, anybody else. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like no, I, I agree. Whole- <laughs> no, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh <laughs> Put, putting the focus on you know you as an individual, um, were you actually born and raised in Baltimore? I couldn't really kind of find the sort of biographical information <laughs> about you in my research. Yeah, we never really bothered to be very clear about that. Um, so our drummer, Dave, did grow up in Baltimore. Um, but the other three guys in the band and our last bass player were all from Ocean City, Maryland. I'm actually from central Pennsylvania. I, I grew up in okay. Car- a town called Carlisle, which is more to the south. But then I grew up in a town called Belfont, which is really close to like Penn State University. And I live like mm, sure. I live uh, like an hour away from there now. Um, I've, I've just always lived in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we had we were on a label called A389 for a long time. 
uh, in Baltimore yep. and everybody just thought we were from Baltimore and we never bothered to correct it. It just didn't, it didn't really right. matter. Even now we're just like, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, especially too with the, you know, the advent of the internet, like it, there are no bands. I mean, yes, there is some articulation in regards to scenes producing a certain sound of band, but like, you know, whatever you say, the Louisville sound in like the mid nineties and like that means something. Whereas like now people would be like the Louisville sound. What does that even mean? <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it's so interesting to to go like anywhere in the world and you can see like a very specific sound like that. It, it's like a regional sound almost like a long time ago, we did a tour in Europe with this band from Boston called New Lows. And uh, we played some shows in England with some hardcore bands. And one of them was called The Flex. And they were like really carrying this like classic Boston sound. And the New Lows guys like freaked the hell out about it because I mean, The Flex is so fucking good. But it was just wild to me to imagine that like, you know, now in the age that we live in, a, a sound that could be synonymous with like Boston could exist in Leeds. You know what I mean? And and they put their own spin on it. And, and so you have this weird, it's almost like fusion flavor, you know, <laughs> to put it in like a goofy ass mm-hmm. kind of food way where you get this like Boston hardcore sound with like this inflection, you know, they of like, you know, the Leeds punk band or something. It's just, it's just really cool. The internet made, made everything feel small. In, in a good way. Right. Yeah. Totally. It's the, the globalization of sound. Yeah, no, you're very right. And that's like, it, it is interesting to think about it through that prism because if you don't have those touch, if you wouldn't have those touch points because of the internet existing, you know, that band would have sounded very different uh, than, you know, what they do when you guys played with them. So like, that's a really cool, you know, after effect of the internet in many different respects. Yeah, man, we uh, wouldn't, even, we wouldn't even be talking if it wasn't for the internet, I don't just mean, I don't just mean in terms of your podcast. I mean, like, I don't even think I definitely never would have met Spencer and joined full of hell. And I don't know what I would have done. I really don't know what I would be doing. So yeah, I'm like, I I owe a lot. Thank you, Bill Gates. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Al Gore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks Al Gore. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so growing up in, I mean, I, I, I've toured for, uh, you know, years with bands and like definitely played a lot in, you know, that general area of like central Pennsylvania and stuff like that. And it's really interesting because like, you know, obviously you have Philly and then, you know, half an hour outside of Philly, you know, from like Doylestown and all the surrounding areas is such an interesting, especially coming from where I'm coming from, like the West Coast and Southern California in particular, like the, the suburbs of Pennsylvania are rural. And oh I don't think God, people really understand that. Right. And I don't think people understand that. So like, was your upbringing very much kind of that rural suburban reflection of like, well, there's stuff to do, but not really at the same time. Oh yeah, man. Um, I forget what the population is in the town of Belfont that I grew up in, but I think like I'm really lucky to be born exactly when I was because I don't see the same kind of activity going on nowadays in small towns, which I think is really interesting. And I don't know if there's a way to like quantify that or to really analyze it. But when I was a kid and I was in like middle school, just going into high school, there were, there were bands, there, there were some street punk bands and there was a death metal band, which, you know, one of my best childhood friends who was too cool for me then, um, he, that was his band and it absolutely blew my mind, but they did shows in a dog kennel, not with the dogs, but, uh, one of the drummers of one of the street punk bands, his grandfather owned a big ass dog kennel. And in the basement of the house, he was letting him have these crazy ass, you know, shows where these kids were doing drugs and like just getting fucked up and, you know, bands were playing and, that really cut my teeth. I was just really lucky that there were any bands. Penn State always had shit going on, but that's kind of like a privileged university, I think. And like, it's just a different kind of scene. I, I can't really explain it. I don't even want to talk shit on like, you know, private university kids. But I just think a lot of times like what's produced out of there is just like, it's just not the same as what I was used to. So I can't say I, I spent a lot of time going to the state college shows. We kind of had a lot of maybe a lot more like uh, discord with those kids. But uh, yeah, it was super rural. There was not a lot going on. I think it was either like play sports, shoot animals, or like get fucked up or play music. And I chose, you know, just playing music. Um, but there was right. nothing else, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, that your articulation of it, it definitely seems reflective over the choices that you feel like you can make as a kid where it's like, either do this, either do this or I do this. And, you know, it's funny because that sometimes if you grow in a more, 
you know, urban setting, you feel like the world is your oyster where that's not the case for your experience. Yeah, I think there's definitely some privilege. Like if you're into, if you're into art and you want to make art or music or whatever medium you want, I think there's like more privilege when you're in a more densely populated area. I just think you have a lot more at your fingertips. I almost felt like I had like a stunted musical growth as well because my parents hated the internet. They were just like so frustrated by it. Uh, we didn't have a lot of options for internet and the company was so terrible that I, the internet like went out at my house in like sixth grade and I don't think we got it back until like 10th or 11th grade. So I only had internet at school and they had stupid fucking firewalls on everything at school. So I had to use proxies. Um, thankfully, like, I don't think pure volume was as much of a problem to them. I don't even think they knew what it was. So I was getting all my music through pure volume, but I would have like two songs from a band, like two discordance access songs that I would listen to over and over and over again. You know, I, I just feel like I missed out on a lot of, a lot of stuff over the years, you know? It was hard to get music sure. without the internet well, at that time. It, right. No, you're very you're very right. Especially to like just I just love that notion. Like, I mean, Discord's access is a very specific example because obviously their songs are thirty to forty five seconds long. Exactly. And for you to have two of them and just be like, God, I want more, man. Like, I just wish I had a I had record. Like, it's like five. Yeah, minutes I had like a mixtape, you know. And I would I would get to order CDs, you know, like a few times a year, maybe. But you know, generally, it was just like what could I leak off a of LimeWire like while I had the chance and you know, what could I fit on my MP3 player that fit like 30, 30 medium length songs. So it was like a nice mix of right. really whack shit yeah. that I didn't know any better and like, and like pretty cool shit. So, but it was hard. It was just hard to find stuff. Sure. Well, I, and I think I, I really do love uh, the experience of finding out about your own path of music when you're just shoving a bunch of stuff in your head because you don't have any pretense about it. You know, you're not listening to bands in relation to like, oh, this is like, yes, you know the broad swaths of like, this is a metal band or this is a hardcore band or whatever, or maybe not even a hardcore band, but like, you're just putting a bunch of stuff in there and you're like, yeah, I like Third Eye Blind and Discord's Axis. I mean, that's a bad example, but you get what I'm saying, where it's just, it's totally all coming it. in and you're, right. And like, I, I love that. Just like, oh yeah, I got 30 songs and like, it's all over the place and you don't yeah. care because you're just like, I like this music. Exactly. And honestly, you know, I, I don't really look at it as like a huge negative at the end of the day, because I definitely didn't have a lot of cues on what was like true and what wasn't. And I'm glad that I was able to kind of like make my own opinions. Cause it, there's definitely a couple bands that I probably listened to in high school that I, I don't think I could pick back up, but, uh, you know, generally, you know, uh, it worked out. Cause yeah, you, I didn't really have a pretense on what was like cool or acceptable that I would have had if we had like a real music scene you know, it probably would have been more of like a social pecking order too. I probably would have just put a lot more thought into what was cool to listen to instead of just listening to whatever the hell I wanted. So that was a good thing. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, and so as you, what was your family structure like? Are you like an only child, brothers and sisters, mom and dad in the house? Um, it was a good childhood, honestly. Um, you know, my dad struggles still with a lot of alcoholism. So we there was a divorce like late in high school, um, but it really mm -hmm. didn't, it didn't affect me so much. You know, I, I don't really have like a lot of trauma from that or anything. Um, my parents were really, really into music growing up, uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, they were really into punk. My mom used to go see bad brains and Ramones and, and all that shit all the time in DC and Philly and has all these sick ass old pictures of like HR when he was like, you know, like 20 years old, like cool shit where, you know, at first I was like, my mom's just bullshitting me. You know, it's, it's pretty cool that she's doing this, but I doubt it's real. And then she pulls out the pictures. So, um, I was, I was like pretty, uh, pretty psyched about that. Crazy, they gave me, they gave me all her old CDs and, and, you know, at, at, by that, by the point that I was getting into punk, you know, like age 10 or whatever, um, they were very, had been very into like Grateful Dead and, and from there, like much more into, you know, all those offshoots and, and really, really into bluegrass and, and folk, which still has a huge, a huge presence in my life. Um, and, and all the classic singer songwriter shit, you know, they, they named me after Bob Dylan. They love Dylan and Cohen and all that shit. And it's cool, you know, it, very fortunate. And they never, ever told me I couldn't listen to anything. They were pretty open about it. Um, my mom would throw out merch later in, you know, my teen years. If it was like dying fetus, she loved to throw that shit out. And there was this new England hardcore band called hammer bros. And they had a shirt that said like, I am a liar, just like God which in retrospect is like such a stupid fucking t-shirt. 
but I loved it. I was, I just wanted shit that was like pretty outrageous and, and she would just throw it out. But generally, you know, they were really supportive and, uh, they definitely weren't supportive of me dropping out of college. Um, but I did what I wanted and, and just made my own, you know, made my own way knowingly. Uh, and, uh, they came around and everything's, everything's great. You know, I couldn't have asked for better parents. So I was very lucky in that regard for sure. Yeah, that, that, no, that's amazing, especially when your parents have a context for where it is you're that, you know, essentially coming from, even though, like you said, they may not endorse it, they at least have a touch point for, oh, yeah, like I, I used to go to shows. Like, I know what a show, there's a difference between a show and a concert. Yeah, man. Like, they know the difference. Even having the broad strokes was like a crazy thing, you know, and they, uh, I think they, they really encouraged it. And then when they saw how I quit every every single club and and band and everything I did in my life that was extracurricular, um, I I don't I think they might have had reservations, but they held their tongues. They didn't even really say anything until I was dropping out of college. And even then, it was like, okay, but we're not bailing your ass out, so you have to be really clever with your money. You know what I mean? It was like you're on your own, right? And that's fair. That's yeah, how it should be. Right. I got really lucky, man. They're totally, I got cool. Yeah. That's cool. Are you an only child or brothers and sisters? I have a sister that's 10 years younger than me. And that's actually a cool thing too, because, you know, I never really talked to her about music much, but the last few years, um, she's, uh, she's gotten more into like a broader, you know, broader sense of music, going to college and all that stuff. And it's been really cool to me to kind of like have some connecting points in music with her. I think, I think I jumped up a couple points in her book because I got her some post Malone tickets a few years ago because we had like a mutual friend working the tour and uh i don't know that was just like the best birthday present i could have gotten i think connected us a little more musically rockabilly.com is the place where you should buy all of your band merch plain and simple use this code pc 100 words that gets you 15 percent off your order pc 100 words don't forget that it's incredibly important because it lets them know that this show sent you but what's even cooler is all of the items they have they got puzzles they got scarves they have shirts they have hoodies, long sleeves, whatever your heart desires they have. It's all incredibly, incredibly easy to order from their great website. Amazing customer service. Ships from the Midwest, so it gets to you very quickly. How about you do a St. Patrick's Day gift, right? How about you buy some green merch? (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to think of some, some holidays, but let's be honest. Band merch is like a huge part of my life, and it should be a part of yours as well. Like, I mean, I'm 40 years old, and I wear band shirts practically every day. So let it be known that if you are younger than me, which most of you are, band merch will still be an important thing in your life. (laughs) Anyways, go to rockabilia.com, use the code PC100Words, and you will enjoy the discount and the high quality merch that you will get from that particular website. So thank you for your continued support, Rockabilia. You kind of alluded to this, but as you were, you know, building your identity and going to school and junior high and high school and stuff like that, you, uh, I presume you kind of sampled around uh, with, you know, sports or a bunch of things, but you obviously just gravitated towards music. That's where you dropped everything. Um, did you, uh, I, I guess, did it, did it take immediately in regards to like, okay, I want to play in a band. I want to play an instrument or was it kind of like a slow build over time? Um, honestly, I've wanted to start a band since I was in like third grade, um, in third grade, okay, none of us played any instruments. Um, and I wanted to start a band called Satan's Penis. I thought it was like a sick as fuck name for like a day. And then we, you know, we talked about it for a while. We felt it was kind of sketchy. So we ended up calling it Satan's breath, but obviously we never like picked up instruments. Um, and in middle school, I tried to start bands. I was always playing a little bit of guitar, but I really sucked at it. Um, I ended up going to a band practice at that kennel. Uh, we started a band called Rotting Carcass and I wanted to play guitar, but the other kid that was playing guitar was actually a guitar player. So he like immediately had me lapped. So I gave it a shot singing and it was really easy to me and fun and I didn't have to buy equipment. So I just kind of stuck with it. And I was so into the fact that it was kind of like this, just the thing that I, you know, I felt like I didn't have to try as hard as if I would have picked up a guitar. And uh, I don't know. So I guess ever since like age 13, maybe I was screaming in bands and that was just like all I wanted to do, period, from the moment I started. It was just so, so fun. And I think it's like a big mix of positives, like, you know, creativity and, you know, doing stuff with friends and like building something. And then also probably a level of narcissism where I just liked the attention. You know what I mean? I feel like there's always, 
with a lot of people, there's, there's gotta be like some degree. If you want to play live, I feel like there's some narcissism and you got to accept that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for a long fucking time, I've been just thinking about this, just playing shows. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I love that. And uh, did you, um, you know, I mean, I know, like you mentioned, you dropped out of college, but like, did you, uh, I guess, care about school at all? Was there any sort of idea of a quote unquote life path in regards to a career or basically once music consumed you, you were just like, and eh, the rest of this stuff can fade away. I mean, I'm a worrier. So yeah, I was always thinking about life path and, uh, I, you know, I was a journalism major, but I dropped out my second semester, of my freshman year. Um, I like lost one of my best friends to an overdose and I, you know, I found him in his room and it was really fucked up for me. Uh, so I left school and I remember, you know, my mom came and got me when she found out this kid died. It was su- super fucked up. And, uh, you know, I was just riding home with her, just like so broken feeling. Cause this was the kid, this kid that passed was actually, you know, one of my best friends all through high school. We played in bands together from like eighth grade until college. Like this was like my guy, my like other warrior that wanted to be in a band. So like, it kind of crushed me completely, you know, and my parents were divorcing around the same time. So everything was just very fucked up feeling. And I just remember getting home and being like, I'm not going back to school. I want to be in, I want to be in a band. I'm just going to figure out how to do this. And I'd already met some kids that were already touring and they let me play second guitar for a couple months. And basically that led to me finding full of hell meeting Spencer and, and, you know, that was it. Spencer was the guy I'd kind of been looking for to be in a band with, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a long road, I guess. Sure. Sure. And what sort of uh, journalism were you, I guess, interested in pursuing? Was it more of like, I want to be, you know, like a working at the, the local newspaper or a music journalist, or it was kind of a broad thing. Um, you know, I don't know what I was planning to do with a journalism degree. I think like the only thing I ever felt like I could do even like decently was write. Um, and I'd done some journalism stuff in high school. So I think my goal was just to probably try and get a gig writing at a paper or something. And, you know, on, on and off, I've, I've written things for like websites or whatever over the last decade, but not a whole lot. Um, I'm getting back into it nowadays uh, with this magazine, Holy Mountain Printing is doing called We Do What We Want just because it's like such an inspiring magazine. I can't even believe he lets me write in it that I was just like, dude, I got to take this opportunity. This is like a sign. This magazine is so fucking cool, but I didn't really have a plan. And even in full of hell, it was like, there was never, you know, we didn't get a dollar out of full of hell for years and we were just touring all the time. So I was like, when we get home, we have to work as hard as fucking possible. So we definitely all had backup plans. I think Spencer was in online school. I was really thinking about re-enrolling in online school, especially on like there, you know, maybe like six shows in a row where there'd be like two people at the shows. And I'm just like me and Spencer are just both privately, like, what the fuck are we doing with our lives? You know, do we need a backup plan? Like, is this stupid? <laughs> so I don't know, man. Sure. I'd say like there were always plans, but none of them mattered. You know what I mean? I didn't think about them too hard. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Right. The, the pursuit was just like, well, we're going to continue to focus on this opportunity wherever it may lead. But, you know, like we can't uh, we can't let these other things, quote unquote, distract us, even though maybe we should be thinking about them. But I totally get what you're coming from. Yeah. And honestly, like um, just one thing I wanted to add was like, I think it's a good thing that we didn't know how things worked and we didn't know the amount of work that you'd need to like, you know, and the luck that is needed to get anywhere with anything with music. Because I don't know, you know, if we started this when we were 30, I don't know if we would have the energy to like, to do what we did with Full of Hell, because we were literally just like living in our van for years and years and years. And we were stoked because every little tiny victory was like the coolest thing in the world. You know what I mean? I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hard to say. You, you, no, it's true. But well, especially, I think a lot of it, I mean, yes, you can build it to, you know, youthful ignorance of just being like, well, whatever, you know, you're young, you don't care. But the, like you said, the small victories of you being like, dude, we sold five, seven inches tonight. Like I can't even believe that. And like that specifically remember those times. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like, or the moment that you sold more than like a hundred dollars in merch. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Actually remember our first U S tour, we were out in Reno and this cool guy we met on lamb goat booked a show for us. Um, and I mean that he was actually a cool person. Wasn't like a dickhead off a lamb goat or whatever. Um, right. We weren't allowed in the venue because we weren't old enough for the bar. So they let us in just to play the show. 
but I'll never forget the dude paid us a hundred bucks out of pocket at the end of the night. And we call, Spencer called his parents. <laughs> I think I texted my mom. I was like, we got paid a hundred dollars tonight, you know, like really proud of it. And that's cool. It was just like, I don't know. It was, uh, it's just, yeah. it was, you know, when you don't, when you don't know every and everything's fresh, it's just, it's just nice. You know, every little victory. It's, thr- it's thrilling. I mean, absolutely. Totally. Well, you, you, you're, you're looking at it from the, the, the lens of we're 2,500 miles from home playing Reno. Like there's no reason that any of this should happen, but it has happened and it was successful. And this is what I'm excited to tell my parents about. Yeah. (laughs) And just feeling grateful that you're even able to survive. It was like a mark. We came home from that tour. We didn't lose money. We were just like, this is a mark of, of like something to be proud of, you know? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. No, I I love that. I love that. (laughs) Um, it just kind of poking around, you know, other interviews and hearing you kind of talk about your own musical journey as far as like, you know, getting into independent minded music. Uh, it sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you were a big Hydrahead kid. Uh, and I, I place myself firmly in that camp as well. Awesome. And I think something that was so foundational about that label was the fact it was able to take, you know, really challenging music in many aspects uh, from a wide variety of things that were, you know, deemed heavy or even not heavy. Uh, but then kind of give kids a starter kit where it's like, oh, yes, you like ISIS. So obviously you listen to Neurosis and you listen to Swans and everything else from there. Um, do you like I, I'm going to imagine that that was kind of your journey where Hydrahead just sort of opened the doors for a lot of more, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, experimental music and challenging music. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's actually wild. You know, Spencer and I have talked about this many times over the years. It's wild what I was exposed to simply from even listening to a Hydrahead sampler in high school, you know, like raw black metal, like post metal noise, like grindcore, everything, everything was there. And, and it, it was really interesting at the time because I didn't really have a lot of frame in terms of like subgenre and like, you know, identifying how you would even define the music. Like I, I remember on one of the later samplers that I was really into, I think it came out probably maybe in like 2007 or maybe six, it had this band pyramids on it. Um, I feel like they're a little bit of a lesser known Hydrahead band. They're from Texas. And this record was just like, it was kind of like a black metal record, I guess, but it was really deconstructed and it had a lot of programmed drums and like really aired out like effects on the guitars and the vocals. And it was like, listening to that record was like transcending into heaven or some shit. And at the time I'd, you know, I never would have pegged it as a black metal record or, you know, have that DNA in it. Cause I just didn't know how to really define those aspects of the music. But like, there was just so many things going on in that record, you know, for my, my teenage brain, it, it, it opened so many doors. And, and that was Hydrahead was my first yeah. experience with noise and all of that stuff. It's like the perfect label. That was the one label where I was like, what's my dream? What's my pipe dream as a musician? It'd be so sick to just form a band that was like Hydrahead applicable. Imagine not even getting signed to Hydrahead, just being like making sense in that universe was like everything to me. You know, it was so cool. That was actually the first goal of Full of Hell. We were like, what's our pipe dream? And it was, it was like, imagine we get to put a record out <laughs> on Hydrahead someday. All right. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, that's, I really appreciate you articulating it like that. Cause I, I do think it's so interesting, especially like you were talking about when you were younger and you're devoid of context, listening to this music and you were just gravitating towards it. You're like, dude, anything that they would put out, regardless of if it's like, you know, the never, never like the indie rock stuff. And then all the way up to like, yeah, I'll check out a kid kilowatt seven inch or whatever. Like you're going to yeah. do all that stuff. Yeah. And it's uh, like you said, you would follow it along because you're like, it's it's through this prism of Hydrahead, so I most likely will enjoy it. Yeah, it's wild to me imagining like 15-year-old me or 14-year-old me listening to Oxbow. You know what I mean? Just like <laughs> right. music that I feel is very powerful, but also very nuanced, like at least to my taste. I don't know. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I owe a lot to Hydrahead. Truly, definitely. Yeah. Well, and it's not like you were looking for this, but I f- completely validate you in regards to Full of Hell absolutely existing within the same ecosystem. That's as awesome. Hydrahead. So where to go? Where to go dude? I, I really <laughs> appreciate that. It's definitely, yeah. I mean, it's a huge inspiration for all of us, for sure. Sure, sure. Um, 
and as you, uh, what were some of the other, uh, you know, like gateway things? I mean, cause I, I presume that, like you said, you were kind of just like combing through pure volume and trying to, you know, ingest this, this music. Was there anybody else, um, you know, like sort of whatever, and I, I don't use the word in a pejorative sense, like gatekeepers where people who were influencing you to be like, Oh, check this band out. Or were you just bouncing it off of uh, Spencer? Um, well, pre Spencer, you know, one of my oldest friends in, in high school who I'm still very close with nowadays, he had this band that, you know, they were all really young guys, you know, maybe like 13 to 17 year olds. So they were children. And I'd say their band was, I mean, it had some like metalcore aesthetic for sure, but it was, it was very like, uh, very like cryptopsy influenced, you know, everybody loved none so Mm -hmm. vile in that little click and none so vile was definitely like gateway to me as well and i feel like i feel like that's a record that's like really legit to a lot of people but almost had that like myspace um like uh not myspace accessibility whatsoever but like i feel like that's a record that was around during that era of social media where like scene core kids knew what cryptopsy was as well but the vocal delivery you know on on none so vile in particular was just like so fucked up and insane to me and uh this this kid that i was friends with that was like I, i felt like he was emulating that, you know, a lot. And it it blew my mind to hear a teenager that could make sounds like that. Um, I just thought the kid was the coolest dude ever. And so I kind of just like followed along with anything he liked. And he was into a lot of brutal death metal, you know, like, like Mexican discord and, and, you know, whatever else, like he was into all kinds of goofy ass shit, but uh, I just kind of followed him. And, and definitely when joining full of hell, I always have followed Spencer and taken his recommendations because he's, he's a huge noise head. And, um, you know, he's very much like I would consider him like a scholar of that kind of music and uh, just all kinds of extreme music, really, and noise rock, especially. Um, we all kind of follow along with Spencer. He's kind of like the the pilot with the plan. You know what I mean? I've definitely gained a lot. You know, right. one, of my, one of my favorite bands of all time now was Gasp, which is like a CD that Spencer gave me the, the pretty much the day I joined Full of Hell. He's like, listen to this. And, and it changed changed my life, you know? Yeah. I, I I love that, especially when you are when you are consuming stuff that is you know really really left of center. Like, of course, you you know you kind of do the entry point stuff of like you know punk and hardcore. Like, yes, of course, I'm a listener. Earth Crisis, Strife, you know, Minor Threat, like all those things coming in. But then it's once you start to discover those weird gems that you feel like are really really your own because not everybody embraces them. That's when you really kind of you know, come into your own where you can kind of combine all that together to be like, yes, I like minor threat and I like gasp. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, that's really cool. Actually. Yeah, I, I love, I like volume 11. Thinking of thinking of gateway. This is actually a really good one. Um, I went to see a show when I was probably like 15 years old. It was in this little town called Belleville near here. It's maybe like an hour from here. And it's, it's seriously just like cornfields. It's a very big Mennonite community there, you know, and, and the show was in a gymnasium of an elementary school and this band played called Robinson and they were kind of like a, they were a grindcore band from maybe like Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, maybe. And this band was literally just blast beats for like 15 minutes, like super, super fast, techie, crazy shit. And uh, I mean, it blew my fucking mind. I, I'd never heard anything like it at the time. And uh, it pretty much like was the end point for me. I was like, I just want to play as fast as possible. And, and it took me a long time to meet musicians that were down to do that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Robinson is like a, definitely a, a deep cut from my childhood. That was like very, very pivotal for me. It was just so abrasive and extreme. I'd never really experienced anything on that level, especially in a gym. It sounded fucked up. It was just like giant fart the whole time. I was like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Totally white, white noise. It was shocking. This is, but and I think that's so cool that you have that experience because especially when something is, you know, localized, when you see something happening right in front of you that you can't comprehend, but you love it, you're like, oh, this gives me the ability to try to do this myself in exactly. some different way or maybe even the exact same way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, you know, you started like kind of fast forwarding a little bit, you know, as full of hell started to, you know, like you said, just live in the van and tour and get your, get yourself out there as the kind of like business implications. And I maybe use that in air quotes <laughs> started to kind of creep into the band as far as, okay, yes, we have to, you know, find money to record and we obviously have to order t-shirts and stuff like that. Do you like the business aspect of the band? I mean, I know that 
it's obviously needed for survival. But um, you know, do you do you enjoy that aspect, or is that something that just kind of comes along with the territory? Honestly, man, I fucking love it. Um, I've loved it since day one. There's just something. I mean, it. I have the same taste. I think with like video games and stuff. There's something about like resource management that I actually really enjoy. And um, Spencer's like the other. Like me and Spencer kind of share. I would say like leader roles. You know, he's to me the de facto leader, but I've always kind of kind of been along there with him. And, and there's a lot of things that he doesn't like to deal with, like merch and you know inventory and you know there's a lot of little minutia like with and then it all deals with money um we always took it really really seriously uh spencer's worked since he was like a little ass kid like really hard so i think his parents really drove into him like fiscal responsibility you know so uh it's something we all took pretty seriously and spencer really went in on it because he spent like most of his savings to buy a van you know, that was his vehicle just so that, you know, our band could go on tour. He made his whole lifestyle shaped around it. And, um, I was like particularly obsessed with penny pinching, you know, at the time. And it's been hard to shake it off as the years go by, but you know, on the early tours, I remember one tour, you know, cause my parents were definitely like, you want to be a loser. Uh, you need to like fend for yourself. I went on a tour with like $30 and it was like a month long tour. And they had a 99 cent five layer burrito at at Taco Bell during that period. And that was a pretty hefty amount of dog food for 99 cents. And I could find 99 cents in the couches of some of these venues we were playing. So like, uh, I don't know, just a little stuff like that, like stealing chicken from Walmart or like, I don't know. We, we always just hustled as hard as we could. And I think that's like maybe part of the reason why we're still going is because, um, the profit really wasn't in our heads ever. And, um, even when it was, we were so scared that, I don't know. We just never did anything stupid. You know what I mean? We were always so crazy tight about money and about making sure things were as efficient as possible. We dealt with a lot of bullshit just because we wouldn't spend like an extra $5 here or there. And I'm glad we did. You know what I mean? I I feel like every band should live in the mud. It's just a good idea. Well, I, I, you, you, you said something that really resonated with me, like the the allocation resource, you know, like, like just, I really like that idea because it it's very true. It's when you first start to tour, you're not taking a per diem. Like you just no have way. to be like, okay, can the band, right. Can the band pay for itself? And then if the band starts to pay for itself, that's when you look at like, oh, okay, I can give myself $5 a day to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner on or whatever. And you start to build that. But like you said, it's all about the hustle to put it together to get you to the next stop. Dude, we don't even get per diems now. I don't give them out because I'm just like, fuck you, like buy your own food. I'll pay you more at the end of the tour. And and you know what I mean? Everything's very like, I don't know if we're going to make money. I don't know if we're going to make money when in reality, you know, if we plan a good tour, we probably will make money, but we're just so, I don't know, scarce with this stuff. And and sometimes I'm sure that annoys my bandmates, but that's like, I feel like it's a pivotal part of like, you know, what helps a band survive. You know, this one story that I love about neurosis that I was told when they were on, when they were on Ozfest, apparently like all the lower half of the bands on the roster were all just like eating shit every day, losing money because they were all touring in buses because festival tours like Ozfest. And I don't know if you know this, but like Ozfest or Warp Tour or whatever the fuck, they're like so fucking brutal, like a 7 a.m. arrival call every day. And you have, you stay all day and then you have like a nine hour drive to the next site because it's such a large scale event. But Neurosis did it in a van and made money because, you know, they were like real deal motherfuckers and they were sleeping, they they were sleeping outside and like sleeping in their van every day. And I I just think that's as real as it gets. Immolation's another band. Those guys are fucking legends. And uh, when we toured with them, they were touring in a van, sleeping in their van every night. As if I couldn't respect those guys any more than I already did. I was just like, you guys are the fucking coolest people in the world, period. Because they're they're still doing it the real way. It's crazy. Those are hustlers. And I feel like that's how you yeah. survive. It's just so cool. It's inspiring. Yeah. Shout it is. I, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Def- yeah. Shout out to Immolation. I love it. Um, you're uh, something that I find that is very common in the way that people, you know, approach you as far as interviews and stuff like that is very much like, oh my gosh, your band has put out so much material, Dylan. I can't believe how prolific you guys are. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, 
like, and it's funny too, because I just recently had uh, Brian from Thou on as well. Oh my and God. that's how people approach Thou. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it, it, it's true to a certain extent because like you can basically look at you guys and Thou and Thou by, you released a lot of stuff towards the beginning of the band's life. But then you got smarter about what you did as you advanced. And so do you, do you find that like as the band has progressed, you understand that like, okay, we're not going to do 15 splits in a year. Like that's yeah. just way too much, you know? So I presume that's kind of what you've learned over time as well. Yeah, we've, um, I'd say we just uh, kind of focused the laser a little bit on our own terms. Um, it's funny because we do get that a lot and not just from like people that are, you know, looking at what the band's doing from the outside, but people we work with as well. And sometimes it gives me pause because I, it's surprising to me that it's surprising to other people to see a band operate like that, especially a band like full of hell. If you look at, you know, all the, all of our influences, especially more in like the world of like, you know, grind or power violence or whatever, that's like the operating procedure for all of those bands. It always has been. It's like, you're in a band to make music. So make music. You don't have to fucking follow some stupid, weird music industry idea of like a record cycle. That doesn't even work for bands that works for like pop stars, you know, it, it a, a metal band or an extreme band that sells like a few thousand records on in a presale, you know, which probably is crazy or whatever. They're not making any fucking money. Like they need to do, they need this. And it's not even about money, but there, there's a lot of reasons to be prolific. And I, I wouldn't even call us like particularly prolific, but maybe, maybe more so than, than the average. But I just feel like it's part of, part of being a band. And if we ran out of ideas, we would stop releasing records so much. But we, I, we did, we have slowed down though over the years. Um, and that's just more of just like being aware of like the fact that we want each release to kind of shine on its own and have its own little space. Um, but like the body, they release music however the fuck they want, whenever the hell they want. They're, they're like very chill about it and it works for them. Um, and, and a lot of like, uh, a lot of people I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of in, in like the more electronic world, you know, or like, you know, with like techno or EDM or anything like that. I feel like those people drop releases like every week. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm-hmm. the idea of releasing one record every few years is, is silly. I think it's long dead. It should be at least. Sure. Sure. Well, and I think too, in the way that you can, address the projects that you tackle with a you know specific focus where it's like oh yes we want to do this split because you know like of course why would we say no to a split with Mersbo? like of course we'll do that you know like yeah there's a reason for it as opposed to just like cranking stuff out because you just want to you know whatever have something to tour on like that's not the focal point of what you guys are doing yeah man you're right i mean there's definitely more intention now um yeah i totally agree with you yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. The uh, you, and correct me if I'm wrong. You uh, you define yourself as straight edge, yes? No, um, I did for a long time. Not anymore. I, I broke a couple years ago. I just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I just didn't want to go. Honestly, man, I was really uncomfortable with the idea of like being out there about like that lifestyle choice. Just because I have a lot of straight edge friends that I really respect, and it's been my life forever but it just wasn't right for me anymore. And, and honestly, it was a good decision. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was a sensitive topic for me at first, but now I just don't care anymore. It's I, been, it's been years. No. So. <laughs> well, I, the, the reason I bring that up is not, I mean, I'm literally 40 years old and still call myself straight edge because I am, but, and so I, I just always am interested when people that are that label and exist in, you know, like you, you clearly, you don't play in a, you know, youth crew, straight edge, hardcore band or whatever. Yeah. And like, so when you're kind of taking straight edge to these different, um, you know, communities, and I, I find especially existing within the independent music community of, you know, metal, like straight edge is not a common thing at all. Like, obviously that's not part of the DNA. So like, how did people kind of, you know, react to you, you know, when you were straight edge and touring and kind of, you know, doing all this, that people were just like, Oh, Dylan, you don't, you don't party or like you party, but you don't drink. Like what's the deal, dude? Well, I still get it. Honestly, the the only thing I broke edge for was to medicate with, with weed, you know, and and that was just a really positive thing. But I was really interested, you know, at the time I was like, okay, I'm going to smoke weed now. I really like smoking weed. Am I going to be like a partying stoner? And, you know, half of my band 
parties really hard and loves to party like every like every chance they get they'll hang out with people until five in the morning every night if they can because they just love being around people and they love to party i hate it and and nothing has changed that i just want to go to bed dude i'll hang out but i want to go to bed and so does spencer so me and spencer spencer's still edge and will probably be edge until he's dead we live like the same lifestyle still so um but it's kind of i never felt judged for being edge. Um, I, I, I've never been like super, super out there about it when I was edge. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think I might've heard from like one of the guys from Coke bust. It's like my favorite, like modern straight edge band. I would say, I feel like they called it mm-hmm. like secret edge because it was for them, you know, <laughs> right. it's for them. That's yep. what it's about. It's, it's, it's for them. And, and I like to think, um, it's a really positive thing to be straight edge in, in music period, because I think, it's really hard to function if you're going to tour. And I, I truly can't fucking imagine being hung over and having to do that any day. I'd want to die. I'd want to be at home. I don't think I could handle it. Um, but a good example of the fact that we weren't judged for being a couple straight edge dorks uh, was that we did a tour with Weed Eater. And, you know, the name says it all. Those guys like to have a good time as well. Um, they were like the sweetest dudes ever to us. They never made us feel like dorks for not wanting to party. They never, you know what I mean? And those are just cool guys, period. I'm sure there's people out there and death metal is definitely like drink a fucking beer, you know, do some whippets, huff some paint. But, uh, I don't know. We never really, we never really had trouble with that. Everybody was pretty respectful. I think the people we've chosen to bump shoulders with either were straight edge or were just respectful in general. So it was really an issue. That's, that's very cool. That's very cool. I, 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 I'm glad to hear that experience. Cause I, I think that, you know, when people or when that philosophical movement gets, uh, you know, normalized where you're just like, Oh yeah, we can still hang out. I'm not going to like carve an X in your back. That's when it's like, Oh yes. Like <laughs> this is a personal choice and not like a mandate that you need to be this as well. Yeah. And I was never into like hardline culture. Like I just feel like, uh, I never felt like it was my place to tell someone how to live their lives, you know, unless it's someone that I've, I'm very close to that I care about. That's like destroying themselves. Um, and I've never been interested in drinking and, you know, I don't really do any, any other drugs. So, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I never felt, yeah. I never felt a reason to judge others. So it was, yeah, it's been I get pretty that. Easy I get that. Uh, something I, two last things I want to hit on where, um, you, I, I think you personally, and then the band does a really good job of highlighting bands that you know not only have influenced you that have come before you, but uh, bands that are you know newer and making sure that you know they're getting as much love as like maybe you guys are getting. Kind of in that same vein of what you were talking about, the idea of a stage, like you know we're not cool, we're just dorks playing loud music like you can. Yeah. Um, it, like I, I just love, I mean, it's the fact that like you shine a light in a band like the Endless Blockade. Like that's oh, hilarious yeah. because like no one, like zero people remember that band. And by you showing the fact that yes, this was a highly influential band to us, um, and then also by you know making sure that you play or or you accident even if you accidentally play with a band that you're like, wow, I never heard this band. They sound great. Um, what? and this may be just completely oversimplifying the question, but like what keeps you engaged with new music? Cause ostensibly, you know, you could be jaded by now. You could like not care and just be like, Oh yeah, we're playing full hell. And like, that's kind of it, but you're still engaged. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty jaded in some, some aspects, I suppose. Um, there's just, it's a really broad world. And I think anybody that feels unengaged, it's, it's their fault. You know what I mean? It's, and it's not even maybe their fault. It's, that's their, uh, that's that's an internalized problem. That's not a problem with what's around them. I think there's stuff to get ex- inspired about, like all around you all the time. Um, I don't really know what engages me. I don't know how to how to define that. I, I guess maybe honesty and, and and passion, and that's like as vague as it could ever fucking get. Um, I'll just cite one a couple specific examples. There's a band called Elizabeth Colorwheel from New England. Um, I've been a fan of theirs because their music's just kind of really interesting and all over the place. Um, we finally played a show with them a couple years ago on our last little U.S. tour, and I'd seen bands every day for three weeks, and I've, I'd so, I saw a lot of really good bands. But when I saw Elizabeth Colorwheel play, it like flattened me. You know, it like gave me chills from my head to my toes. Like the most mesmerizing band, and um, I just feel like 
there's something special knowing that there's like a ton of those bands out there, you know? And, and a lot of times those bands, I feel like they're not in pursuit of, of like attention or like, you know what I mean? There's no like motive other than expressing themselves, you know, and another good example that was a big deal for us and, and should be for more people is a band from Buffalo, New York called gas chamber that no longer exists. I've never seen a band that sounds like gas chamber in my life. I, I, I could try to explain. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like power violence or hardcore, but mixed with like pink Floyd almost it's, it's just so out there and like transcendental when you listen to it. Um, I'm just rambling now because I can't really define like what, what strikes me. You know what I mean? Like my taste is irrelevant. Uh, I just think there's so much good stuff out there. You know, I, I could only hope to yeah. kind of shed a, shine a light on it. Like that's like the least I could do, you know, we could probably be doing so much better at that, but uh, you know, I don't know. That's like the, one of the best things you could probably be doing yeah. is just like sharing that, you know, keeping that wheel turning and just, you know, sharing stuff that inspires you. Sure. Sure. Well, and you know, I think people do that in, you know, a variety of different ways, but I think for, you know, you to be able to, you know, not only articulate that in interviews, but then, you know, be able to wear the band shirts and just like ch- championing that in a way that maybe other bands aren't as deliberate about, you know, they'll maybe give like, you know, a nod here or there, but not to the point where it's like, yes, this is almost kind of like, not like you talk about it at band practice, but like it's kind of part of your yeah. DNA and your manifesto. Like, of course I'm going to like wear this band shirt. Like I, I love them. Like, why would I not do that? I feel like that's the realest way you could possibly be, you know? And I'm really fortunate that my bandmates are super cool too. I feel like a lot of bands, um, their focus ends at their, at their boundaries, you know what I mean? At their borders of like what benefits, what benefits them. And I'm not saying we aren't guilty of that. I feel like every band, you know, needs to focus on like what they're doing at a time. But, uh, I, you know, it should be like a struggle to, to, to kind of like deny that when you can. And like, you know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, rejoicing for the success of others or trying to help people out. You know, I mean, we were helped out. Endless Blockade's a great example. We're still really, really close friends with the one guy in the band, Andrew Nolan. And he he wrote us back. I sent our very, very first like noise demo thing to him. It was bad. And he took the time to write us back and tell us why it wasn't so good and what was good. He didn't have to do that. That guy had like, you know, has a reputation amongst his community. Um, he could totally have been just a just straight up dickhead to us. But he, you know, he reached out and was kind and we ended up touring together. You know what I mean? That stuff changes your life and you never know what kind of impact you're going to have on someone. I don't, I feel like I'm starting to sound like a, like a motivational speaker or something, but like, really that's the kind of shit that speaks to me now when we're talking about like music in general, like extreme music is never going to be like a commercial success. It's literally just about community and idea sharing. You know what I mean? The money straight up doesn't matter. I, 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 you hit the nail on the head. I very much agree. And I, I, I mean, and I think like when bands are successful in our community and, you know, uh, have the ability to, you know, make a greater living at it, like more power to them. But like at the end of the day, the actual, you know, broadening of the community and sharing that DIY spirit is what will eventually keep this thing going as opposed to, you know, just being another part of the entertainment system as a whole. So I, I totally agree. Yeah, man, it should be like an active push against joining the quote unquote entertainment industry. You don't want to make yourself a product because nobody gives a fuck about a product at the end of the day. I don't know. It just, uh, it just, seems, yeah. it just seems it, it's very strange to me. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought, but I know you understand. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get exactly where you're coming from. Uh, I'm going to presume that also the, uh, I promise two last things where, uh, the, the name of the band is from the entombed song title, or was that just a complete coincidence? It's from the entombed song title. Spencer named the band like right before I joined. I, I totally love entombed, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when Spencer first formed the band, he was playing with a bunch of other guys. And I think the initial idea for the band, which was totally a compromise for Spencer, was to kind of incorporate a lot of like entombed obituary style kind of death metal, you know, a little bit of the down tempo stuff with obituary 
along with maybe like some like cursed vibes. Like I forget what the initial blueprint for full of hell even was, but what Spencer had always wanted to play was grindcore with noise, but he just never, ever met anybody that was like, you know, into that whatsoever. But when I joined the band, we kind of like outnumbered everybody and, and really ruined it. You know what I mean? We like really were able to push. <laughs> I was, I'd never met anybody that was into the same stuff I was into, you know, and more. Um, so we, I joined and we just fucking took over and it was our thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, I was named after Entombed. I, I've sure. drawn my own, I've drawn my own meanings over the years for, from that name. But uh, yeah, it's an Entombed yeah. difference. No, I love. I I just love the idea of uh, you know you coming into the band with your dystopia records and being like, hey guys, can we actually sound a lot more like this? And then you're like, well, yeah, I got someone else agreeing with me, so now this is what we sound like. Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably a relief for Spencer because no one was fucking helping him do anything. I think he actually tried to quit a couple times in like the few months that Full of Hell was a band before I joined, because he was like, this is like a guy. If I just could quickly describe this guy, it's just like the most dedicated possible, like freakishly obsessed human being you can you can imagine in terms of like wanting to a band he was the guy he's like i have to get in the van i'm doing this and that was i was just like that's it dude me too so uh he was definitely probably relieved to have other people in the band that kind of like were at least either down with his vision or fully signed on you know what i mean yeah absolutely that's that's really exciting when you find that kinship with somebody else to create art that you're on the same page totally. and you're on the same shorthand you don't need to like explain yourself it's like oh yeah i get it yeah i don't I, you know i know what you mean by you know uh, two, two four blast beats or whatever like i get it yeah <laughs> um the the last thing i want to hit on was just the uh the notion of you know a, as the band started to you know reach wider popularity and you know people outside of our kind of typical DIY punk community uh, start to recognize the band. What, you know, do people, um, you know, how do people kind of approach you? Is it one of those things where it's like, wow, this band is really, you know, aggressive and crazy. And then here's Dylan and, you know, Spencer or whatever the other band members being like nice individuals. Like, is there a uh, push pull and juxtaposition uh, of the way that, you know, people who wouldn't access you guys normally to all of a sudden are like, wait, what is this band? Like they're supposed to be different than what these nice guys are. Like, do you get a lot of that or no? Um, I think personally, uh, I mean, I guess I get a lot of it. I don't really interact with a lot of people that, that I don't know, especially like in the last year, you know, since I just kind of sit in my house. But, uh, yeah, I think people, I think people are kind of thrown off. I think it depends on their experience with this kind of music. I think if, if they've been in the scene and they've met a lot of bands or they've played in bands, they know guys in bands are generally like pretty normal guys. Unless you're like Glenn Benton, you're like a pretty normal guy. But um, if it's a person that's never really met guys in like extreme bands or whatever you'd want to call us. Yeah. Sometimes they're like, Oh, you're so sweet. And then you get up on stage and it's like a totally different person. And it's just like very shocking to them, but I don't know. It's hard for me to really have a perspective on that because I've just, never really under, understood it you know what i mean um like having like i i get where it's i get where they're coming from but just i don't know i when i was a really young kid i think i thought guys in bands the my favorite bands i was like those guys are rock stars they live the life it's probably so fucking crazy and i'm sure they're like the wildest people in the world but in reality looking back on it those bands were like you know some of those bands were like full of hell sized or smaller maybe when i was really into them and and i guess when you finally reach that point you realize like oh well we're still just like a fucking local band like there's like there's like a hair's breadth difference between us and nothing you know what i mean so to me it makes sense that the guy in the band is probably just like a broke guy maybe he has a kid maybe he's probably got a job at home you know he probably likes dragon ball z or something like he's probably pretty soft like i don't really expect people to be psychopaths in bands they they totally exist but generally speaking, the people that we interact with and 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 ourselves, we're just like just guys, you know what I mean. So it, for me, it's it's definitely funny that people like are surprised that I'm not like a I don't know like a howling freak off stage. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like oh wow, like Dylan's normal. This band sucks. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm pretty sure that turns some people off. The other day I posted a picture of us because we finished a record. I usually take like a couch picture from the control room and we always get this like, look at these candy ass like boy band 
bitches or whatever they want to say and like shit talking in the comments and it's just like i mean we're not going to fucking put on costumes to like look like we're you know what i mean anything but ourselves like why would you want to listen to a band that's like a put on i mean i listen to plenty of bands that are in character like portal or something you know but uh it just doesn't click for me I I i wouldn't put on an act you know for any reason Yep, that was such a good chat. Thank you very much, Dylan, for coming on the show. And you should check out Full of Hell. But more importantly, he just released a really, really cool project called Sword Dream. Came out on Closed Casket Activities. And it's a a really good record. Very challenging, like all of his art. But um, yeah, check that out as well. But thank you, Dylan, for coming on the show. Next week is what I like to call a secret punk episode. And this is a person who might, on the surface, not have anything to do with punk or hardcore. And that person's name is Nate DeMeo. He does a podcast called The Memory Palace, but uh, he's also a writer on Parks and Rec, has done a ton of cool stuff, is currently doing a screenplay for a movie. You know, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. But his podcast is really, really cool. And uh, I got introduced to him, sort of friend of a friend, being like, hey, he really likes independent music. And Nate and I go super deep. It's a really, really cool episode. We talk a lot about ebullition records and... Santa Barbara and like, I don't know, just so much cool stuff. But that's what we got next week. So until then, please be safe, everybody.